I would ask if you would this afternoon, uh, maybe just a little before 2 o'clock, say a little prayer for me. I'll be preaching for the Blessing Church of Christ at 2 today. Uh, as they begin an evangelistic meeting up there each Sunday for the next several weeks. And they've asked me to come kick it off for them today at 2 o'clock. So if by chance you just happen to be in Boaz, way out in the country, uh, around the Blessing Congregation around 2, uh, I know they'd love for you to join them as well. Or if you're watching online and happen to be close by around 2 o'clock at Blessing, uh, we'd love to see you then. Conviction and fear are something that more times than not well, it's like an internal tug of war in our life. We feel convicted to do one thing or to believe something, but oftentimes our fear keeps us from doing the very thing we're convicted to do. And a lot of times the impact that we make in this life is going to be determined by which one really rules our life, our convictions, or our fears. Throughout the course of human history, we see examples of this time and time again. One example of this would be Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. His conviction, his conviction was that all men are equal. That conviction outweighed his fear of those who might want to stop him. So you see how this works in our life. How oftentimes we may have a conviction about something, but our fear will keep us from it. And while Dr. King is a positive example of someone whose conviction was stronger than his fear, there are so many throughout history whose fears outweighed their conviction. An example of this would be a man named Pilate. Now, Pilate was a governor who had been appointed by Rome to rule over Judea. The job of the governor, among other things, was to just keep the peace. Rome didn't want to have to worry about whoever the governor was governor over. They just wanted everything to go smooth. Pilate didn't exactly start off the best. His very first day in Jerusalem, he decided that he would march Roman soldiers through Jerusalem and they would hang banners of the Roman emperor all over town. They hung a lot of those banners on the temple. And you can only imagine how upset this made the Jewish people. So upset, there was a great riot that happened. Not too long after that, there was something that Pilate wanted to build within the city. And again, he made a very poor decision. He decided to send his soldiers into the temple and raid the treasuries of the Jewish people. And their treasuries could be that which paid for his project. Again, bad idea. All this did was create another riot amongst the Jewish people there. History records that the Jewish people hated Pilate. And Rome? Well, quite frankly, Rome was really beginning to wonder whether or not Pilate was the right man for the job. Because he couldn't keep the peace. He kept letting the people get so upset, riot after riot. Now, go with me in your mind to an early Friday morning just before the Passover. And on this particular morning, the Jewish leaders, they show up on the doorstep of this man named Pilate. And what they want from him is quite simple. They want him to condemn and put to death someone that's really been getting on their nerves. They want Pilate to put to death Jesus. But as Pilate talks with Jesus, his conviction, his conviction was that their argument was very weak. 
And that he didn't see anything guilty in Jesus. In John chapter 18 and verse 31, it says, Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And that's true, by the way. It was not lawful for them to just go about putting anyone to death. But, listen, let's just be honest. Had these Jewish leaders decided to just go ahead and stab or stone Jesus and just put Him to death, the Roman Empire could care less. All right, That would not have been a concern of Pilate's in the least. But these Jewish leaders, they were smarter than that. They knew they couldn't be the ones to put Jesus to death. They knew that the popularity of Jesus was still very high amongst the Jewish people. And if they put Him to death they would make a martyr out of him. And that was the last thing they wanted. So they wanted someone else who would condemn him. They wanted someone else who would actually put him to death. That's what they wanted Pilate for. But again, Pilate's conviction was that Jesus was innocent. Now, if they could convince Pilate to crucify Jesus they felt that that would also help them along the way. That, that maybe that would tarnish Jesus a little bit too. That His legacy would be tarnished a little bit if the Jewish people saw Him hanging on the cross. Because they knew that the Jewish people knew the words of Moses from centuries before. that says that a man hung on a tree is someone who is cursed by God. Deuteronomy 21, beginning of verse 22 says, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day, for a hanged man is cursed by God. Their hope, their hope was that crucifixion, that as, as Jesus hung on a cross, and that as the Jewish people saw Him on the cross, that their mind would go back to this passage and they would see Jesus as a phony. That they, they would say, you know what? He must not be that person He's been claiming to be for the last three years as He's been going from place to place making this claim that He is the Son of God. I mean, surely the Son of God wouldn't be cursed by God and, and hung on a tree. Blasphemy. That's what they accused Jesus of in the Jewish court. Blasphemy didn't matter at all to Pilate. <laughs> they had to change the accusation for Pilate to have any interest at all. And so it wasn't about blasphemy with Pilate. It was about Jesus having His eye on the throne of Caesar. That's what it's about. It's about Jesus wanting to overtake Rome. Well, now what else could Pilate do? aside from continue to talk to this man who may very well be a threat over Rome. But after a very short conversation with Pilate, again, Pilate came to the conclusion, yeah, this guy, this guy thinks he's a religious leader of some sort, but he does not want to overtake Rome. In John 18 and verse 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Pilate's conviction, Pilate's conviction was that Jesus was not a threat to Rome. 
Pilate, being a good politician though, he knew that he couldn't just let Jesus go. That then the Jewish leaders would be all upset and he knew something had to happen. So at this point, he uses a little bit of wisdom and he decides to use a custom of the Jewish people to try and set Jesus free. You see, a custom of the Jewish people here right before Passover was that they could have a prisoner set free. And so Pilate takes before the people Jesus and Barabbas. Jesus, a man who Pilate is convicted, is completely innocent. And Barabbas, a man everybody knows is a thief. So surely the people will choose choose Jesus, not Barabbas. After he said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Put to death the man that you know is innocent. Set free the man that you know is guilty. Pilate has this very strong conviction. He knows Jesus is innocent. He also knows again that he can't just set Jesus free. That even though they've called for the life of Barabbas and they want to put Jesus to death, he still knows within his heart of hearts, he knows that Jesus is innocent. And so again, to pacify the people, to pacify the crowd, he has Jesus scourged. John 19 and verse 1 says, Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. That word flogged there is oftentimes translated scourged. Now, what is this? This was a public beating. This is where someone would be taken and stripped of their clothes, and, and they would actually be shackled, their arms would be shackled together, and they would be bent over, and they would be basically handcuffed to a post so that their entire backside would be completely exposed. And then those who did the beating. They were quite professionals. They, they really did their job well. They had these whips where there were little braids of, of bone or rock or broken clay. Basically anything that they could use that would help rip a man's back wide open. And they were so good at what they did. Historians tell us that they could bring a man within an inch of his life, but spare him. You feel so horrible. You wish you were dead. Beat so beyond recognition that many could not stay conscious. They would pass out due to the pain. And that's what Pilate had done to Jesus to pacify the crowd because Pilate's conviction was that Jesus was innocent. Picking up in verse 2, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews! They struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know I find no guilt in him. 
So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, Behold the man. Look at him. He is beaten. He is bloody. He is bruised. He is beyond recognition. Look at this man. He is no threat to Rome. Behold this man. And when the chief priests and officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. And when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And if you go down to verse 12, the very first part of verse 12, it says, From then on, Pilate sought to release him. If Pilate was so convicted that Jesus was innocent, if Pilate was continuing to seek ways to release Him, then why? Why did Jesus die that day? Well, the big picture answer is this. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve ate that forbidden fruit and sin was first introduced to this world. From that point forward, there was a plan of redemption that was put into place by God the Father. And that plan of redemption, from that very moment, the plan was Jesus would have to come and He would have to die for the sin of all mankind. Jesus was not the victim in this story. Jesus was very much in control of everything that was happening, as was God the Father. And that's a message that Jesus wanted Pilate to understand in this same conversation. In John 19, it says in verse 10, So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. You, Pilate? No. You don't have the authority to crucify me or set me free. What authority you have has been given to you by God. Then why? Why would Jesus die? If Pilate was so convicted, why would he not set Jesus free? If his conviction was as strong as it appeared to be, why did his conviction not outweigh his fears? Well, let's go back. John 19 and verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Again, that's his conviction. Jesus is innocent. I'm going to seek to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. There it is. There's his fear. Pilate was afraid 
He could lose his position. He could lose his, his place. He could lose his power. He might even lose his life if he were seen as a traitor to Caesar. He was afraid. His fears outweighed his conviction. And that's why Jesus, an innocent man, died that day. But you know, we're not much different. We oftentimes have very deep convictions. But our fears, our fears are shackled to us and they keep us from moving forward with that which we are very convicted by. We oftentimes, we have convictions deep within us of, of change that needs to take place in our life or, or things that we need to be doing more of or less of. And, and we have a very deep-rooted conviction. But we have all of these fears, countless fears that keep us from doing that which we know we should. We're afraid of not being accepted. We're afraid of missing out. We're afraid of, of being inconvenienced. We're afraid of being uncomfortable. You see, these and so many other fears keep us from doing that which we are convicted of. You may be convicted that you need to be a more generous person but you don't do it, do you? You don't because there's this fear that you live with that says, but what if you run out? Well, what if you don't have enough to take care of yourself? And so that conviction gives way to that fear. Or maybe you know that your life is way too consumed by social media and you are convicted that you need to unplug some from social media. That's your conviction. But your fear... Your fear is you won't know what all your friends are doing. Your fear is that all your friends won't know what you're doing. And so you don't unplug the way that you feel convicted to unplug. You're convicted because there's someone that you love dearly that you want to have a heart-to-heart -heart talk with about Jesus and about their soul. You're convicted to do that because you know it's the right thing. But your fear your fear of the relationship not being what it once was keeps you from having that very conversation that you are so convicted to have. Do you see how this works? It happens in all of our lives where we have a conviction. There is something in us that we, we know needs to be done, but we're chained to our fears and the very things we know we need to do, we never do. Because we allow our fears to control us. I think if we understood truth the way Jesus was trying to get Pilate to understand truth, I think then our fears wouldn't outweigh our convictions as much as they often do. Let's go back to the conversation that Jesus had with Pilate in John 18. I'm going to pick up in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. 
If my kingdom were this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. And Pilate said to him, So you're a king. And Jesus answered, You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate said to him, What's the truth? When I hear those words of Pilate, I hear it in almost a a dismissive tone. I don't think Pilate wanted to talk about truth. Because Pilate knew, Pilate knew that his very livelihood, that possibly his own life could be hanging in the balance of the decision he was about to make. And if he made the wrong decision, if he made a bad decision that went against the Jewish people or that went against Caesar himself, it was over. You you want to talk about truth? I think if Caesar would have really understood the truth that Jesus was trying to convey that day, I do think at least Pilate's actions would have been different. Jesus would have still gone to the cross. But I think if Pilate... If his conviction that Jesus was not only innocent, if he would have come to understand the truth Jesus was trying to convey, that I am the King. I am the King of kings. I am a king greater than Caesar. If Pilate would have really understood that, I think his conviction would have probably outweighed his fear. But he didn't quite get it. Is Jesus... Is He king of your life? That's a really good question to ask, isn't it? I mean, and again, it's got some depth to it. There's some weight to it. Just like the idea of Jesus wanting to talk about truth to Pilate, this is a big truth. Is He king of your life? That means He's in charge. That He calls the shots that we follow in His footsteps, that we do as He commands for us to do, that He is our King, that He is above all others, that He is superior, that we understand that He holds all of creation together in the palm of His hands because He is Creator and Sustainer of life itself. He is the Man. He is the Son of God. He is the Christ. He... He is the Lamb of God who washed away the sins of this world. That's who King Jesus is. And if we really believe that, if we really understand who King Jesus is and what He's done for us and what that means, then it should impact our life in some pretty major ways. But like Pilate, in a dismissive tone, we say... (laughs) Yeah, but who's got time to talk about that? King Jesus? That's just not my focus right now. My focus is trying to just get out of school and figure out what I want to do with the rest of my life. My focus is my my career. My focus is my family. My focus is my children and their athletics, their sports, or whatever thing they want to be involved with to make sure that they're excelling in everything. My focus is on my aging parents. My focus is on just adjusting to retirement. Jesus? King Jesus? Who, Who really has time to talk about that? 
But if he is king, then we come face to face with this reality that we must make a decision. Will we allow him to be king of our life? Or will we continue to try to call our own shots and live by our own wills and wishes and continually ignoring his? Because if he's really king of our life, it should impact our life in some pretty major ways. And if he's really king of our life, then that conviction, well, that conviction should outweigh all of those fears that keep us from being faithful. Maybe, maybe today, maybe there's something in your life you'd like the church to be praying for you or with you about. Maybe today, you've finally reached a point where you're ready to surrender your life and obey the gospel of Christ and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe today, you are just finally ready to leave, to leave those fears in the rearview mirror and to live a, live a life of conviction, a life of, of faith, possibly like you've never lived before or maybe like you once did. That opportunity is yours today. We're about to sing a song of encouragement. As we all sing, I would encourage us all to think very deeply on all that King Jesus has done for us. To think very deeply on all that He expects now from us. And to decide, to decide whether or not we will live a life ruled by our fear or by our convictions. Because that decision, that decision not only determines so much of this life, more importantly, that decision determines your eternal destination. May we leave here with a conviction to not live by fear. May we leave here with a conviction to live by faith, knowing knowing who's really in control. We can help you with this or any needs you might have. Won't you come as we stand and sing?